Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, you can be seated. All right. Well, good morning, church. Go ahead, if you haven't already, uh, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 3, what we just looked at there. We are continuing this morning going through our study of the book of 1 Peter. And here we arrived at a passage of Scripture that is talking about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives. Now, we have also arrived at a portion of Scripture that has often been misunderstood It has been abused, it has been distorted, and it has been just outright avoided by some, okay? But the beauty and the accountability of preaching through books of the Bible is that I don't get to just skip over hard topics or topics that might not be popular in our culture. So we come across a phrase, wives submit to your husbands. So we we will ask God this morning, to have a right understanding of what he means when he says this. Because we don't want to abuse this verse, we don't want to be afraid of this verse, and we don't want to take this verse out of context. We will need God's help this morning so that we have a right understanding and appreciate this verse, but don't abuse it, okay? This is one of the more common verses that get abused when husbands and wives are fighting over the TV remote, right? I mean, he wants ESPN and she wants HGTV, and there's this conflict and power struggle for the TV remote. So guys, don't be that guy that opens up to 1 Peter 3 and points at this verse in those moments. Don't be that guy, okay? And this passage of Scripture is also, I've heard it is the least likely passage of Scripture to be preached about on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day. 
And it makes sense, right? I mean, if you're going to preach topically on Mother's Day, there are about a thousand other topics you should probably preach about on Mother's Day than this verse. But I heard of a poor pastor who preaches through books of the Bible like we do and didn't look at the calendar or march it out right, and somehow he arrived at this passage on Mother's Day. And this, and I know this was a larger congregation. Many of them brought family, friends, and, and their moms to the service. And the other pastors, before he got up to preach, were just going up to him, just giving them hugs, like sort of just kind of saying their goodbyes, all right? Because, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Thankfully, it is not Mother's Day, but you do not come back from a wife's submit to your husband's on Mother's Day. You just don't come back. If your ministry is over, you just go on sabbatical permanently after that. So while it is not Mother's Day, this is a topic that I would ask our ladies that you would be gracious with me on, okay? Most topics and issues that I preach on, I usually try to put myself in, in your position and I try to empathize with you in regards to what the text is saying and how I'm preaching it and how you might be receiving it. And I've tried to do the same with this passage. However, there are some obvious limitations to that, okay? And so I've tried to pick Britt's brain a little bit on this and, and tried to try to understand how you might be receiving these verses, but please, please be gracious with me. My goal is to explain the scriptures to us and to speak truth into the distortions that our sin and our culture has caused and how we read this. And my main goal this morning is to show us how Jesus transforms marriage and that true love, unity, and freedom are found in men and women embracing their equal but different roles, okay? And men, don't think you are off the hook this morning, okay? Verse 7 is coming. It is directed towards you, and I am saving most of my passion and yelling for verse 7, okay? So gear up, because it is coming. You are not off the hook. And men, you also need to be listening this morning, because I'm going to speak strongly to you in regards to what submitting does not mean. Okay, because some of you might be abusing the word of God to justify the abuse or mistreatment of your wives, and God has some strong warnings for you. A couple more things before we jump in. Men, be careful what you say amen to this morning, okay? Be careful what you verbally say amen to. Most of the time, I like your feedback, and I like to hear that you are with me and following along. Just be careful this morning. I'm going to try to walk us through a minefield, and I don't want too many of you sleeping on the couch tonight, okay? Um, and also, husbands and wives, let's watch our elbows this morning, okay? This is a sermon that there might be a lot of elbowing going on. Um, so men, I don't want to see you elbowing through verses 1 through 6 because I'm warning you, verse 7 is coming, and your wives will have the last elbow this morning, okay? So be careful. But in all seriousness, it is easy to hear a sermon like this um, and think more about your spouse than about yourself or to think more about someone else than yourself. And this is God's word that you need to hear this morning. And so may you first let the word convict and transform your heart before you start thinking how you can apply it to someone else's life, okay? All right, let's pray, and is, uh, is my mic distracting to any, I, mean, I don't know, is there like a, no? It's just me, it's in my head, okay. Um, let's pray though, let's ask God's help this morning. God, we do need 
your help, Lord, this morning as we come across a topic that, Lord, at first glance just doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't just, it doesn't sit right with um, how we see the world. And God, most of that is because of what sin has done to distort the roles of men and women. So Lord, may you please speak through your word to us. Lord, may people um, hear this out of hearts that, that want your word to transform them. And so please, Lord, be, be gracious with my words and help us have a right understanding of the roles that you have put us in as husbands and wives. We love you, God. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let me quickly summarize for you chapter 2, because 1 Peter 3, verse 1, starts with the word likewise, likewise. So he is saying this is a continuation, right, of chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Peter was writing to people and explaining to them how to live out their new faith in their current situation. So he was writing to people who had now submitted to the lordship of Christ as Jesus being their true king, and they were wondering, hey, do I need to submit to my governing authority since Jesus is my king? And Peter says, yes, unless they would lead you into sin, those authorities have been put in place by God. You need to submit to them. And then in chapter 2, he was writing to slaves who they were putting their faith in Christ, and they were experiencing freedom in Christ, and they were wondering, hey, do I still need to submit to my master? And Peter is saying, yes, God many times shows his gracious love to the world through, the, through his people being mistreated and persecuted, and yet them submitting and doing good to the ones that are mistreating them. And then Peter reminds them in chapter 2 that the reason they can respond this way, the reason they can respond differently to mistreatment they might experience is because the power to do this is in the character of God. And God is a just God. And therefore, we can follow Jesus' example. And instead of retaliating or resenting, we can hand over our injustices to God the just, who we know that he will right all wrongs and all sin will be dealt with, and all sin will be dealt with either in eternity or it was dealt with on the cross. And so when we are mistreated, when we are persecuted, we can hand over the injustices done to us because we can trust that God is just. And so now we arrive here at chapter 3. Look at 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And then look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. So let's stop here and let's talk about verses 1 and 5. Verses 1 and 5 use the same root word meaning to submit or to yield. To submit or to yield. Now we are going to talk more about what the Bible means when it uses this word, when it says to submit or yield, but I think it will be helpful if we first talk about what this doesn't mean, okay? So first of all, biblical submission is not forced. Biblical submission is not forced. That is abuse. And some women feel trapped in abusive situations because they think that to obey God, they need to submit to their husbands, even if he is harming them. And that is not 
true. That is not true. Many abusers will use this scripture and take other scriptures out of context to force their wives to do whatever they say. And hear me, that is not true. That is not biblical submission. Biblical submission is not forced. That is abuse, okay? Abuse, let me define abuse for you. Abuse is a pattern of coercive control that proceeds from a mentality of entitlement to power, whereby through intimidation, manipulation, and isolation, the abuser keeps his target subordinated and under his control. This pattern can be emotional, verbal, psychological, spiritual, sexual, financial, social, and physical. So sisters, if you are in an abusive situation, that is not God's will for you, and you need to tell someone, and you need to get out of that situation. Tell a friend, tell family, tell the police, tell us, but you need to separate yourself from that dangerous situation until there is repentance by the abuser and a long season where there is evidence of the fruit of true repentance. I'm not talking about a quick apology just to get you back. I'm talking about a long season where you see some fruit of true repentance. And men, if you are abusive to your spouse, you need to repent and turn to God. Any type of abuse will not be tolerated here in this church. It is not a mark of someone who follows Jesus. Men who follow Jesus lay down their lives for their spouse. They cherish them. They honor them. They do not force them to submit, okay? And that will not be tolerated here. Abuse will not be tolerated in any form. Martin Luther said this about marriages where one spouse believed they were entitled to abuse the other. He said this, Sometimes there is no hope for improvement or the reconciliation of the guilty one and his restoration to good graces is followed only by the abuse of this kindness. He persists in his flagrant and loose behavior and takes it for granted that he is entitled to be spared and forgiven. I would not advise or prescribe mercy for a person like that. Rather, I would help to have such a person flogged or jailed. And I agree with Martin Luther on that, all right? Ladies, so as we proceed this morning and we talk about wives yielding to their husband's leadership, I am not talking about it if you are in an abusive situation or if, he's, if he is leading you into sin. The verse says submit to husbands, not to cowards and criminals, which is what abusive husbands are, okay? Biblical submission is not forced. So that's what we need to understand first. Biblical submission, it is not a forced thing. Second thing, biblical submission is not. Biblical submission is not demeaning, okay? In our culture, it can be easy to think that the one submitting is inferior to the one who is leading. Our culture has such a hard time understanding how things can be different and yet still be equal. Any differences we see, we want to rank them and we want to put ourselves on the top of those rankings, but listen, diversity was God's idea. Differences was God's idea. Don't let the world take credit for diversity, okay? The world will try to say to have equality, you have to have uniformity. But God wants us to enjoy our equality by celebrating our diversity and our differences. And he even wants this in marriage, okay? 
The act of submitting can also, it can't be demeaning if we look at the rest of the Bible. So one reason that the act of submitting isn't demeaning is because the whole Bible views men and women as equals, equal in dignity, value, and worth. So listen to Genesis 1.27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Male and female were both equally created in the image of God. Equally made like God to reflect his glory and to care for creation. And then listen to this from Paul in the book of Galatians. Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one in Christ. And then even in 1 Peter, we've learned that men and women have both been told that they are elect, they are chosen, they are royal, they have infinite worth because of who they belong to. And so women are not told to submit or yield because they are inferior We know that can't be true. We know that they are equal with men in their dignity, value, and worth. Now, the act of submitting, we also know, isn't demeaning because Jesus submitted, okay? In Luke, the Bible speaks about Jesus submitting to his parents, Mary and Joseph. So the creator submitting to creation, that can't be demeaning. That can't mean he's inferior to them because he's submitting to them. Jesus also submitted and washed Peter's feet, which was the job of a slave. And we also see that Jesus then submits to God the Father. And we have a beautiful picture then of our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who are all equally God, but share different roles and submit to one another. So Jesus submits, and men and women are called to submit as well. It is not a demeaning action. It is a Christ-like action. Submitting is not a demeaning action. It is a Christ-like action. Well, why is it so difficult? I mean, men and women both, it can be so difficult to submit or yield to someone else's leadership. Why is this? Well, let's, excuse me, let's go to the beginning when sin entered the world. So usually I don't have you flip everywhere in your Bible, but let's, I want you to see this, okay? So flip to Genesis 3, if you have your Bible. Go to Genesis 3, verse 16. I'll give you a second to get there. Genesis 3, 16. This was after Adam and Eve had sinned, and God cursed the serpent, and he promised a Savior that would crush the head of the serpent. And then he says to Eve in verse 16, Genesis 3:16, he says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, there is no argument that the first part of this verse is true, right? I mean... Just to watch the birth of my three boys, I mean, those were the most traumatic, I mean, best days of my life, right? I mean, just to even be in there and watch it, I don't think anyone can argue that the first part of this verse hasn't happened, right? But then look at the second part. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This verse is saying, because of sin's presence in the world, it will have an effect on marriage. 
Instead of men and women who are both submitting to God and men leading his wife and a man leading his wife out of a loving, caring way and his wife submitting and yielding to that servant leadership, now because of sin, there is going to be an ongoing power struggle in marriage. And I think the New English translation makes it a little clearer as to what this verse is saying. It says to the wives, you will want to control your husband. You will want to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The equal but different roles that God has ordained in marriage are now going to be distorted because of sin, and wives are going to desire to control their husbands, either through manipulation or not yielding to his leadership. And sometimes this is obvious, and sometimes it is subtle through manipulation and other games that you might play that men aren't smart enough to figure out, okay? My family often quotes a line from my big fat Greek wedding, okay? It's a, it's, a, it's a comedy, all right? But the Greek women would say, yes, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck that can turn the head any way she wants to, okay? Now, that's not a biblical concept, all right? But that is a result of the fallout of now Eve and all women wanting to control their husbands, Now, men, verse 16 also includes you as well. Because of sin distorting the God-ordained loving servant leadership you were supposed to fulfill, you will be tempted to rule over your wife and your home. And this is not what you were called to do, men. You were not called to rule over your wife or your home. God did not intend marriages to be ruled by men. And if you rule your marriage, I would question if you've ever really encountered King Jesus. Our marriages are not ruled by men. They are ruled by Jesus. And our marriages are Jesus-ruled and husband-led. They should be ruled by Jesus and led by husbands who are laying down their their lives for their brides. Okay? Go now, Ephesians 5. I know we're flipping a little bit in your Bibles. Go now, Ephesians 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22. We're going to see that this idea is not just uh, unique to 1 Peter. And we're going to see a little bit of a deeper and richer meaning behind our roles as husband and wife. Ephesians 5 Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here we see that the roles of husbands and wives are rooted in a picture of Christ and his church. Yes, wives are to come under the leadership of their husband, but husbands, don't get all puffed up about that. You are supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died for her. And I would think most women would not have a problem coming alongside the loving leadership of a man that was willing to die for her every day. 
So wives, when you get upset with your husbands, you don't have to yell at them to go die. The Bible already did that, okay? The Bible already told them to go die to themselves. Husbands, we are to be laying down our lives for our spouses and dying to our wants and our desires and ourselves every day. Having leadership in the home doesn't mean you get to make every decision. It doesn't mean you get to rule like a dictator. No, Jesus rules your home. Your role is that of a servant leader that is laying down his life for your family. And our marriages are supposed to be a picture and a reflection to the world of the beautiful relationship between Christ and his people, the church. Can we not just stop and pause and enjoy and praise God for how much Jesus loves his people? He calls us his bride. And he willingly laid down his life for us. I mean, what kind of love is that? It's a love that the world aches for and is restless for. And men, how you are loving your wife is supposed to point people to the glory of the perfect and infinite love of Christ for his church. Well, wives, we are going to focus back on you just a couple more minutes, and then we will switch, okay? Let me warn you and give you a warning as to what happens when biblical submission isn't happening in a marriage. It usually leads to conflict or to complacency, okay? When biblical submission isn't playing out in a marriage, it usually leads to conflict or complacency. When you try to control and manipulate your husband's leadership, it will either cause fights and conflict because he feels threatened, he feels like he needs to defend himself and then sinfully and forcefully put himself back in the leader role, or, and I think what more commonly happens, is it allows him to become now complacent. When wives start taking the lead in marriage and in parenting, which they are fully equipped and capable to do, but when they start taking the lead and not waiting for their husband's lead, the husband now becomes complacent and he goes, sits on the couch and watches sports. And many men, if they see no one filling the role, many men will step up and grow up and man up and serve their family. But wives, if you are continually filling that role and leading in the way that the man is supposed to, he will become complacent. When biblical submission is not occurring, there is either going to be conflict or there's going to be complacency. Well, what does submission produce when it is happening, when it's done in a biblical way? Look back at 1 Peter now, and we're going to uh, stay in 1 Peter the rest of the time, okay? So back in 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. One thing it produces is that if a woman is married to an unbeliever, it is God's way of showing his gracious love to the husband so that he might be saved. And look, look how the husband is one, though, that he may be one without a word. Without a word. Amen. Okay, I said be careful what you say amen to this morning. Okay, husbands are typically not one to Christ 
through pressuring them into it or through nagging them into it, okay? The Bible says that it is better to live in a tent on the roof of your house than to live with a nagging wife, okay? So FYI, if your husband goes and sleeps on the rooftop, it might be a sign that you are maybe nagging too much, okay? But it often isn't words that speaks to husbands. And just thinking through my own marriage, if, I, if Britt were to, which she doesn't, but if Britt were to hound me or nag me, okay, uh, uh, which by the way, she doesn't, and I thought she was going to be in kids ministry this morning, okay, uh, but that doesn't, if she were to do that, that does not stir my heart to want to step up and be the servant leader, no, but when Brit, when she often does, when her actions are selfless and she selflessly serves me and loves me and comes alongside me and waits for my leadership, when she does that, that stirs my heart to want to step up and to take the lead and to serve and lay down my life for her. Through her actions, she can make the, the invisible visible and she can show God's gracious love to me through her actions. And when I encounter God's gracious love, it calls upon my heart to respond. So wives, show God's gracious love to your husbands, even if they are an unbeliever, and even if they are not stepping up and filling their role as a servant leader, even if they're not doing that, don't go about through pressuring or nagging them or guilting into things. Show them God's love through your actions, and when they encounter God's love, their heart will respond. Look now at verse 3, 1 Peter 3, 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, Peter is not outlawing braided hair, jewelry, or nice clothing, okay? But he is instead saying those things should not be where you find your value and your beauty, those things you can have freedom to wear, but that should not be where your worth is. Let the beauty of your heart be what shines forth. Spoiler alert, external beauty fades, okay? But there is a beauty that is imperishable. Focus your time, energy, and care on the beauty that is going to last. Truly beautiful women, their beauty never fades. And I've said this before, and I think it applies here as well. There are temporary things, and there are eternal things. Don't forget which ones are which, okay? There are temporary beauties, and there are eternal beauties. Look now at verse 5, 1 Peter 3, 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Wives, your hope is in God. Your confident expectation is in God, not your husband. You willingly yielding to your husband's leadership is not done because of the confidence you have in him. Your confidence and your hope are in God and the fact that this is what he has called you to and trusting that you know it will be for his glory and your good. And again, let me clarify, I'm not talking about if you are in an abusive situation or you have an abusive husband that's leading you into sin. 
I'm not talking about those situations, but I'm talking about coming alongside your husband, supporting him in his servant leadership, and waiting for him to take the lead because your hope is in God. I mean, praise God, your ultimate hope is not in your husband, right? I mean, Peter brings up Sarah and Abraham. Abraham twice said that Sarah was his sister and let her be taken by Pharaoh and then Abimelech, all because he was afraid and wasn't trusting in God. There were plenty of examples and opportunities for Sarah to say, uh, this guy? You want me to yield to this guy? Her hope was not in Abraham. Her hope was in God. This is good news, ladies, right? This is good news that your hope is not ultimately in your husband. Your hope must be anchored in God. Now we arrive at 1 Peter, verse 7. Husbands, if you've been asleep, shame on you, but wake up. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, you are to live with your wives in an understanding way, or what this means is in a knowledgeable way, okay? Do you know your wife? Do you understand your wife? Now, maybe not completely understand her. Let's not get carried away this morning, okay? But are you living in a way that is trying to understand your wife? Are you taking the time to truly know her? And this means that you should be listening and learning from her, okay? Listen to her concerns, her thoughts, her desires, her passions, her goals, her anxieties, her fears. Learn from her and about her. Understand her and know her. This is how it looks like every day to be living with an understanding of your wife. Be listening and learning from her. Husbands are also to honor and cherish her. Do you honor your wife? Do you honor her with how you speak about her privately and publicly? Do you cherish her? Are you grateful to God for her? I mean, do you realize how out of your league your wife really is? And this church in particular, I don't know what it is, but we have a large ratio of men that have married just way out of their league. I don't know why that is that they're all here. We must have guys with good personalities and maybe have got some game, okay? Uh, but many of you have married way out of your league, okay? I hate to be Captain Obvious in the room, but it just had to be said. But do you realize that she is a daughter of God and he has graciously entrusted you to take care of her, to love her, to lead her, to listen to her, and to ultimately lay down your life for her? And God has given you the role now of being a servant leader to her and she is your co-heir with you. She's not a servant to you. She's not inferior to you. She is a co-heir of the inheritance we have in Christ. And husbands, God thinks so highly of you having a right relationship with your wife that if you are not understanding her, if you are not honoring her, if you are not cherishing her, if you are not laying down your life for her, he says your prayers will be hindered or will be cut off. That is a big deal, 
Okay, this should be a big deal to you. If you read something in the Bible that says your prayers are going to be hindered or cut off, that should be a big deal to you and wake you up. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, prayer should be such a huge part of your life. You should want your prayers to be effective and for God to be listening to you and for you to be hearing from him. And you should be fearful of any time or or, or season that your prayers might be being hindered or being cut off. But husbands, if you are mistreating your wives, don't waste your time with big, lavish prayers. God's not listening to you. Your prayers are being hindered. Instead, first stop mistreating your wife. Confess and repent and step up to what God has called you to and lay down your life for her. Husbands, your prayers are being hindered if you are not cherishing your wife. Honor her, cherish her, love her, lead her, lay down your life for her. And God hindering our prayers is a gracious and loving way of him disciplining us. He's giving us a sense of urgency to want to go make things right with our wives. I mean, I don't want to sit around for days, weeks, months, or years of my prayers being cut off or hindered. I want to go right away and make things right with my wife so that I can once again enjoy the prayer life with God. Well, what do we do when our relationship with our wives is strained? God has graciously given us an example to follow. Follow Jesus' example. And what did he do when there wasn't a right relationship with him and his bride, the church? He went and he died for her. He laid down his life to restore a right relationship with her. You go do the same. If your relationship with your wife is not well, you take the initiative, you follow Jesus' example, you go lay down your life for her, go humbly serve her, go wash her feet, go listen to her and learn from her, take care of her, protect her, pray for her, and lay down your life for her. Husbands and wives, nothing we have talked about this morning is easy. Nothing, either role of a husband or a wife, nothing here is easy. We are fighting the ancient serpent and we are fighting the effects of sin that want us to have this power struggle in marriage. But the strategies that disarm these inherited sins are opposite of what you would think. And we learn from the example set for us by Jesus. You would think that Jesus, to be victorious, that he would have had to come and forcefully take and kill and conquer his enemies. But that's not what he did. Instead, he submitted and he laid down his life for them. And you would think that in our sin that wives, in order to keep your husbands from ruling over you or domineering in the relationship, you would think that you would have to assert yourself, stand up for yourself, take charge. But actually, submission disarms the domineering. And husbands, you would think in order to assert your leadership in the relationship that you would need to control and intimidate and forcefully take the lead in the relationship, but actually, your bride will willingly follow you when you lay down your life for her. The well-known commentator Matthew Henry, he wrote this. He said, "The, the woman was made out of Adam's side, She was not made out of his head to rule over him, 
nor of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Men and women, let us have Jesus-ruled marriages where husbands are servant leaders laying down their lives And let us have wives then that are willingly and joyfully yielding to the loving leadership of their husbands because their ultimate hope is in God. And may then our marriages be a picture and a reflection to the world of the beautiful relationship between Christ and his church. So this is what we're we're closing with. I do want to pray for us that Jesus would transform us and that in our marriages we would experience true love, true unity, true freedom that are found in embracing our equal but different roles. So pray with me this morning.